Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Old Testament reading today from 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read of how David was anointed to be king over Israel. David being, of course, the most famous and also the most exalted of the kings of Israel, save for his greater son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is a pivotal figure in the narrative of the Old Testament. He is the great and faithful king that Israel longed for, but would never see afterwards until that fateful day when Christ arose. But to better understand this anointing of David, where it fits in the arc of Israel's history, we need to back up a little bit more and get some context. For though David was regarded as the greatest of Israel's kings, he was not the first to hold the mantle. Beginning in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel, long merely a collection of tribes in the land the Lord had given to them, begin to clamor for a king like the nations around them. They were constantly beset by these nations and their kings. They saw the great grandeur that a king could bring to a nation, his great ability to marshal forces and to take land and conquer and bring prosperity to his people. And Israel, comparatively, had nothing. A good land, to be sure, faithful judges to rule for a time, but nothing so stable and glorifying to their nation as the kings around them. And so they approached Samuel, saying, Give us a king like all the nations around us. And Samuel warned them at that time, You do not know what you are asking for, and if I should give it to you, you will not like what you receive. 
For you will find in having a king like the nations that they shall do the same things to you that the kings of the Gentiles do to their people. He shall dominate you. He shall rule over you. He shall exact a great price from you. He shall take your sons and your daughters from you that they may serve in his palace as slaves and cooks and perfumers. He will accumulate for himself masses of riches, horses and chariots and gold and silver while you dwell in poverty. Remember the king you have, O Israel, the Lord who is your true king, the Lord who watches over you by night and by day, the Lord who gave you this land where you are free and where you are at peace, do you really want to abandon this king for one who will make slaves of you? And the people gave a resounding yes. We are willing to endure all of the suffering that should come from that king for the sake of the earthly glory that it shall bring us. And the Lord, in perhaps one of the most terrible acts of his judgment ever beheld in the scriptures, gives the people exactly what they ask for. And at first, it seemed good to them. For Samuel was sent to find Saul, the son of Kish, a man who met all of the qualifications that the people of Israel were no doubt looking for in their king. He was a man of wealth. He was tall and fearsome in appearance. He was dignified in his countenance. On that day when he stood amongst the people and Samuel proclaimed that this is the one whom the Lord has called, no doubt the people in their cries thought, we have what we have looking for. Long live King Saul, May he bring us the glory that we had hoped for. And indeed, even for a time, it seemed as though they would get what they want. For the Lord, in his mercy, still granted Saul victory over the enemies of Israel and brought peace and security to his people. For a time, that is. Saul would eventually turn from the Lord. He would turn from the commandments that he was given. He would accumulate for himself wealth and honor while the people were left to their devices. While they were left to starve and to be impoverished, he would fulfill every warning that Samuel had given to the people. And when Saul was confronted for all of this, when the man of God went to him and told him of his sin, that he had turned from the Lord, and that the Lord was to withdraw his blessing from him, Saul's heart was already far too hardened. He would make a pitiful, feigned attempt at repentance, but his heart was already set far from the Lord, and the Lord's judgment was already at hand. 
And so then, we come to David. We come to the runt of Jesse's litter. A boy with beautiful eyes and red hair, sure, but still the smallest of Jesse's children. And Jesse himself, little more than a shepherd family. This young boy, nowhere near the grand figure that Saul must have been in his armor and in his kingly raiment, this boy stinking of sheep of the fields, when it was he who was proclaimed to be the king whom God had chosen, even Samuel must have been a bit disappointed. No doubt his brothers were confused to see little David be the one who was chosen against Eliab and against Shammah, the greater and more noble figures of his brothers. But God reminds us that he does not look as man looks. He does not behold the outward appearance, but looks to the heart. He is not distracted by the various things that take our eyes. He is not concerned with the nobility of the figure, but with the heart of the one whom he calls. He is not concerned with our plans and our desires, but with his greater Fast forward a thousand years. We see Jesus, the greater son of King David, come to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand, that he has been anointed from above by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news, to set free the captive, to redeem the people from their sins, to heal all dread diseases and cast out the demons who oppress his people. And how is he to do this? He is to do it in the most ignoble of fashions. For you see, the people had their own minds of what the Messiah should be. He should be that glorious figure who comes with the cloud of heavens, the glorious figure reigned in kingly splendor, the one who puts to flight the enemies of God and commands the angel legion to turn the Romans and the Gentiles and the sinners over to the sword. He should come in all of this glorious splendor. Not a cross. Not at the mercy of those Gentiles whom they despised not being spit upon and flogged and degraded and abused and killed by those people. That was not what they wanted. And as we read in those uh, words from Luke, the preaching of the gospel was hidden from them. For by the time these words had passed Jesus' lips, he had already proclaimed beforehand to them what was to happen. And they wanted nothing of it at those times, and so too here, they wanted nothing of it. And so God, again, in a great act of judgment, 
gave them what they wanted. They did not want to understand what Christ was saying, and so the Holy Spirit hid it from them. He darkened their understanding. He gave them over to the desires of their hearts. And yet he did not do this for judgment. He did it so that they would not be consumed with their own hubris. He did it so that their understanding might be brought to nothing, but that in the cross of Christ, the wisdom of God would be revealed. That there, in what seems foolish to the eyes of man, what seems weak in the eyes of our flesh, the true wisdom and power of God would be revealed. For in spite of our blindness, God was always clear-sighted as to what his intentions were. Then with David, God was clear-sighted that through this young shepherd boy, he would bring about the salvation of his people. He would bring about the line of kings from whence his own son would derive his flesh and in whom he would save all flesh by his cross. And on this day, even as he darkened the understanding of those people, he understood what he intended to do. That through the death of his son, he should forgive his people of their sins and cure them of that blindness. That by the light of his cross, his grace should be revealed and the spiritual blindness that clouds our hearts should be cast away, that we should be granted a new sight, a sight not of the eyes, but of faith which resides in our hearts and sees the glory that Christ has accomplished, sees the kingly majesty on that cross which the world despises. And thanks be to God, he is still casting out our blindness. Day by day, by the grace of his Holy Spirit, he is furthering in us what was begun in our baptism. That we have been purged of our sins, that we have been made clean in his sight, that we ourselves have been anointed as Christ was anointed, given the declaration that we are his own children and that we shall have an inheritance in his kingdom. For indeed we have a great and glorious king who has deigned to call us not servants, but friends, a king who has not brought us into, our, into his kingdom that we may serve under him as slaves, but that we may serve him as free and loving uh, members of his body. That he brought us not to serve in lowly manner as cooks and perfumers, but indeed to recline at table as those whom he calls his own brothers and sisters. Our king is merciful beyond all comprehension. He is merciful beyond anything that we can imagine. And today, 
and tomorrow for all of your days your king is merciful to you he bids you to come into his kingdom bids you to take spot at his table bids you to eat of his own body and blood and to be forgiven and to be healed so come Answer the summons of your king and come to him with joyful hearts to receive what is prepared for you. Come not trusting in what your eyes behold, but what faith in your heart knows to be true. Come not looking at the mire and muck of this world, but at the glory of Christ in his cross. And beholding that glory, may it bring you comfort and peace until at last the day when Christ truly stands before you in the fullness of his kingly raiment, when he stands before you in robes of crimson, dyed with his own blood, having in his hands a crown that is laid up for you, a crown of eternal life, and a crown that shall never fade. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.